man, it's good to be home. Um, I love coming to South Bay, and you know you're home um, when you walk into the breakfast and you sit next to Steve. And uh, let, let me go back for a second. So I went to a conference uh, a couple weeks ago. My pastor from when I was 17 years old was there. His name is O.S. Hawkins. He used to be the pastor of First Baptist of Fort Lauderdale. Then he went to be the pastor of First Baptist of Dallas. And when he left Fort Lauderdale when I was 17, I went to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. So that's how long I was at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. So um, anyway, I saw him and I walked up to him. And he didn't, I'm, I'm almost 50 now. So I said to him, stop. I said, I said to him, <laughs> I go, Ch I, I'm Chet. And he goes, low. And it looked at me like, you're about to do something to me. And he grabbed my hoodie, pulled it over my head, starts doing like this, grabs me like this, starts going like this. I'm like, dude, I'm almost 50. I'm not 17 anymore, you know? <laughs> But something happened to him when he saw me, right? So I come on the scene here at South Bay. You know your home when, right? You know your home when you have no respect. So you, I come here to South Bay. I sit next to Steve. And you know what Steve says to me? Steve, where are you? Steve, where are you? Steve, where are you? If you checked out for this, where'd he go? He was just here praying for Rob. Where is he? Oh, right in front. Get up. Stand up. Now, I want you to look at the difference between me and Steve, all right? And I've gained 15 pounds because at the men's retreat, I was traumatized. I'm going to tell you why. Sit down, Steve. Steve took a picture with me and all the Samoans, okay? A little unfair, all right? At the end of the picture, okay, <laughs> I want to tell you what he said. So I sit down, and he says this to me. He goes, you remember the men's retreat? Remember when you took a picture of me and all the Samoans and you looked so puny? Ha, 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 You know your home when, right? Uh, but then I felt kind of good because I walked in and I'm worshiping Jesus. And I noticed the Bahamian flag made it to the very top line, like right in front of me. It's almost like a welcome to Chet. Um, you guys know I'm from the Bahamas, right? So I looked up and I was like, and usually the Bahamian flag is like over here in the corner. Oh, it is over there in the corner. <laughs> I didn't even see that. Well, I used to feel welcome. Um, but man, it is good to be home. Now, if you guys know, um, I'm from the Bahamas, right? So I was the only white kid in my class. You know, it was just the opposite of what... I'm at at Aliso Viejo. Like, Aliso Viejo is my mission field. I'm a dirt four floor sleeping missionary, right? This thing keeps popping out of my ear. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm a dirt floor sleeping missionary. God, and, and I'm like a every tribe, tongue, and nation church. So I feel at home at South Bay. My church in Aliso, um, let me say, my son walked in, and the first thing he said, now you guys know I have three African children. My son walked in, and he goes, Dad, we need to paint this church. And I'm like, son, I think they just painted it. And he goes, oh, I'm talking about the people. <laughs> he goes, have you noticed something? And I go, no. He goes, I'm the only black one here. So my son, man, this thing's going to drive me crazy. Is there a handheld maybe that I can use? Um, so... Um, it, all right, there we go. All right, so I'm at, I'm at, I'm at home, so I don't care. Good, your so, ears retarded, man. <laughs> I'm puny and retarded. Welcome home. 
That better? <laughs> and you know it, right? So, and, all right, I'll grab that one. So anyway, um, where was I in my story? So, yeah, so black is such an anomaly in South County that all of these 40-year-old unmarried women were walking up to my son, and he goes, Dad, it's weird. Like, they grab my bicep, and they're like, hi, how are you? And he's like, they're like petting me. Like, I'm some kind of like, you know, and then it's like everybody wants to know me, right? And I'm like, son, you know. So anyway, here's the deal. I told him he could not marry a 40-year-old wealthy white woman. And, you know, I said, there's no way you're going to marry a cougar. And so I am truly on a mission field, okay? I am truly living in the mission field. And I know he'll make fun of me and go, hey, you're living in heaven. I'm letting you know Chet Lowe is on the mission field, Elisa Viejo, and always glad to come home here to South Bay. You guys are such a gift. Such, such, such a gift. But we've got a job to do to get into the Word, so um, I could say how much I love and care for you guys, but uh, why don't we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. That's where we're going to begin. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to be in a few areas of Scripture. Um, truly, it's great to be with you guys. So thankful uh, to be able to be here with you. My wife is actually in Florida. She went home to be with our grandkids. Um, and, you know, we have... In our family, so we're, you guys know, I have five biological kids, I've got three African kids, and one from Peru. Now they're getting married, and they're marrying every tribe, tongue, and nation. So my African son married a Peruvian woman, and we have mocha grandkids, and they are unbelievably beautiful. I mean, they got hair out to here, right? And so, I don't know if you know this, I have eight grandchildren now. Since I last saw you, I think I had five. They keep reproducing. I don't know who they learned this from. Um, and my seventh grandchild was born last year, and my African son named him Seven, S-E-V-I-N. So I said to him, son, why did you name your child Seven? And he goes, well, Dad, the reason I named him Seven was because it's complete. We're done. Perfect. Perfect number. Seven. And I looked at him, I go, son, you're an African. The next child will be eight, then nine, then ten. Then you'll go into Spanish, diez, once. I mean, like, you are going to keep on having children. Why would you do this? So the next year, within nine months, she was pregnant again. And I said to him, I go, what's this child's name? Ocho? I mean, it's a, you know. So anyway, and the baby's name is Noel, not Ocho. So, so thankful for that. Um, but my wife is there. She's having a blast with the grandkids, um, but she wanted me to make sure she said how thankful she was to be with your women at the women's retreat um, last weekend. She just came back so filled with the Spirit, and uh, we're looking, I pray, to join you guys for the men's retreat as well, as uh, Pastor Jeff and I uh, really have been working diligently to be sister churches uh, that we would be, I don't know, if, I guess I should say brother churches here, um, but as the bride of Christ, right, sister churches, to be able to accomplish things together for God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. 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 It's amazing to me how every man wants to be successful. Would you pray with me? Father, how grateful I am 
for the word that you have given us. And I'm just so thankful. For Lord, without it, we would be lost because it's light in darkness. And Savior, as I stand in front of these brothers, it feels awkward for them to call me pastor. I'm home. And I'm just thankful to be with guys that are in this faith, struggling with me to live a life that honors you. So Lord, we're committed to the fight. That's why we're here. We're committed to running the race. And would you grant to us your success story? In Jesus' name, amen. Every man wants to be successful. There's a real feel-good about it, isn't it? There's almost like a biological thing that happens when you make the deal. There's something that happens when you pass the test. There's a feeling of when you win the game, right? Everyone desires to be, even my dog. I don't know if you guys had a chance. Um, my dog is a male, okay? And he is a Bernese mountain dog, so he's about 120 pounds. And I need to say something before I continue. Six months ago, he gave me a concussion, all right? That's how big he is. The week before, I was in Oaxaca, um, uh, Mexico, and Oaxaca is kind of like the pipeline of uh, Mexico. So I was out surfing. Um, I ended up catching a wave. I was paddling back out, unfortunately for me. When I duck-dived, the wave caught me. I went up over the falls. I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. And my board came and hit me on the head, and I got my first concussion. So if I don't remember your name or get lost in the midst of this Bible study, I'm going to blame it on the concussion, okay? Um, so just go alongside with me. But uh, about a week after I got back from Oaxaca, my 120-pound dog, he has this thing where he jumps on the bed. So I was going to push him off the bed because my wife doesn't want him on the bed. And so when I went to go push him off the bed, he did one of those like spins, you know, like I'm going to sh show you that I'm stronger than you, and he actually is. Um, and so he spent, and his hip hit me in my temple and knocked me right out. I woke up to my 14-year-old laughing hysterically <laughs> and then looking at me and going, oh, this is serious. I'm like, son, get your mother. You know, I go to the doctor, and the doctor said, listen, if you hit your head one more time, you're going to have a lot of memory issues, all right? So um, if I have any memory issues, you, know, you have to understand. But the point is, because my dog likes to jump on the bed, my wife has created this can. And inside the can is a bunch of pennies. And what she does is, when he jumps on the bed, she shakes the can, okay? And he's terrified. He's a 120-pound baby. That's what he is. He's a puppy. He's still a puppy. And he has grown to be this enormous giant. He's afraid of tinfoil. He's afraid when chairs move too quick, he, he does one of these deals. Like, he is terrified of every, a rabbit jumps out. You think a 120-pound dog would run after it. Not my dog. My dog will see the rabbit and go, <gasps> like that. I mean, just freaks out until he had success. This past Sunday, my dog was on stage with me. Used him as an illustration. 
And I was just walking up on the stage with him, and he's just going nuts and crazy. In fact, Zach was helping me, and Zach said to say hello, by the way, as well. Zach was helping me, and he was so excited about being on that stage with everyone just ooing and aahing, this 120-pound Bernie's Mountain Dog, that he leaped from the stage without Zach being aware and jumped into Zach's arms. I mean, almost knocked Zach down. Monday morning, after he was on his debut, Monday morning, he sneaks into our room, he jumps onto our bed, and I go, Blue, you need to get off the bed. He won't get off. My wife grabs the can. She goes, watch this. And she takes the can, and she shakes it. This is what Blue does, okay? You're my wife. This is what Blue does. (sighs) I bust out laughing, and I go, do you see the problem of success? I go, that dog just looked at you and goes, do you know who I am? (laughs) I was on stage yesterday. That little can can't do anything to me. And my wife just bust out laughing and she's shaking this can and Baloo's like, and lays down. He's no longer afraid. Success. There he is. He feels it. There's nothing like the feeling of it. Where does it come from, this drive? Well, didn't God say in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply. I want you to go and seek your success story. Even Paul. Paul would say, I can do, listen to the man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In fact, listen to how he backs this up. I'm going to read it for you. Stay in Genesis. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Um, You can write it down if you're taking note. 2 Thessalonians, I want to read what he wrote in chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to the great apostle Paul. He says this in verse 6. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Anyone that's not going out and fulfilling the be fruitful, I want you to stay away from. For you yourselves know how you ought to uh, imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not Oh, what a message for the millennials, but we will go on. (laughs) My 25-year-old son came home from St. Andrews University in Scotland, right? And a job at Chick-fil-A is not worthy of his stature. So I made a command to him, and I said, here's the deal. February 6th, you got a job, you don't got a job. That's your choice. But on February 7th, if you don't have a job, you find a new place to live. Chick-fil-A all of a sudden became the glorious place for him to find a job. He came home the other day, and he's like, Dad, i got to find another job. I go, why? He goes, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And I looked at him, and I said, that's called work. That's why they pay you to go there so that you can do those things. And I looked at him, and I put my hands up, and I go, St. Andrews. And then he said to me, no, Dad, millennials. I mean, he actually knows his issue, right? (laughs) Oh, what a message. But most men, most men will work hard. 
They'll follow the, adva- the advice of the wise guy, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He says, whatever you put your hands to do, do it with all your might. Listen to the man. There's something within us that when we put our hands to something, we want to do it with all of our minds. 3 John chapter 2, listen, verse 2, listen to what John prays for Gaius. He says this, I pray that, it may, that you may prosper that it may go well with you, and that you have good health just as your soul has good health. He says this, I want you to prosper. I want you to have success. This is his prayer. Now, I know the faith movement takes this verse to the nth degree where everyone should prosper. That's not what I'm talking about because John is just submitting this prayer to God for his brother. It's up to God to answer according to his will. But the hope that I want you to see is the man, John, is praying for another man that he would have success. There's something about us that wants to achieve goals that when we quit, we don't feel good. I remember quitting. Training for the Olympics in 1988, I actually made the team. Most of you know the story. But because I was from the Bahamas, they wanted to send a better representation of the Bahamas. And a white guy just didn't fit. So they sent the black Bahamian guy that I beat at our trials. I was devastated. It was never about race to me. I never knew race. I, I mean, my... I didn't grow up in that kind of home. My, my children, my children, listen, we were driving in the car one day, and there was a guy, a kid, a friend that was sitting in the car, and we were playing some kind of R&B or I don't know, gospel or something like that, and the kid, the white kid goes, well, I, you know, I, that's black music. Can we listen to something else? And my son, white son, looks at him and goes, that's black music? And he goes, well, you know, your brother's black. My son looked at my other son and goes, he is? Had no idea. That's the home that I grew up in. That's the home that I produced. Like, they just don't know race. It was never for me about race. It was about not going to the Olympics. And I'll never forget senior national trials that year. I had an event. And I wanted to go to senior nationals. And I missed the trial by three-tenths of a second. Three-tenths of a second. That day, I walked off the pool deck and I quit. And I didn't go back to the pool for another year. I never really was as good again, but I learned a powerful lesson. Men really shouldn't quit. Like, it doesn't feel good. It's not in us. In fact, in Hebrews, the Bible says we are not those who draw back. Like, we aren't, Christians aren't people that are to quit. We're to run our race. We're to fight our fight. God has put this thing in us. So sometimes as men, we'll look to other men to be inspired by them. Maybe we'll look at the successful like a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates, and we want that kind of financial success. Or maybe we'll look to some sport figures like a Tom Brady, a LeBron James, or even the late Kobe Bryant. Or maybe we'll look to the Bible. Genesis chapter 39. Let's take a look at this biblical character. His name is Joseph, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. 
He became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put in him in charge of all that he had. Potiphar was smart. He's seen this guy be successful, so he attaches himself to his success because Joseph's success was good for Potiphar. And we do the same thing. As men, we'll look at people that are successful. We'll attach our identity to them. We'll say, man, you saw success. You know success. And so we'll actually begin to discover how did you get successful because I want to be like you. And so we'll educate ourselves. We'll read books. What were your skills? Uh, Did you have tenacity? What things did you practice or what was your personality? Like, I want to I wanna be like you. Did you catch a lucky break? Did you have an idea? Did it have some kind of inheritance? I mean, how did you get so successful? I want to learn Joseph. I want to learn Bill Gates. I want to learn LeBron James. I want to, well, once I watch your life, <laughs> sometimes we'll begin to mimic them. We'll dress like them. We'll talk like them. We'll even start acting like them. Gang, that's why there's commercials. That's why LeBron James, okay, will do a commercial for Aflac because we'll all want that insurance of a quacking duck because LeBron James says, this is my insurance. We'll even go that extent to wear the shoes, to wear the pants, to even watch the stars on the red carpet so that we can look, act, and dress like them. I remember when I was a kid, there was a famous surfer. His name was Tom Curran. And I used to watch Tom Kern videos because I wanted to surf like him. I dressed like him. If he bought those shorts, if that was his sponsor, I wanted to be like the success of Tom Kern. Told you I went to this conference. It's amazing to me. I'm watching the worship leader. And I'm not going to say any names. But as I'm sitting there watching this worship leader, they're not as famous as so-and-so. But they're doing the movements of so-and-so. They're doing the actions. They're even trying to sing like so-and-so. And I know that's not their voice. They're just wanting to be, to act, to dress. Pastors, pastors, we do the same thing. We'll hear a good story, and all of a sudden, that story becomes my story. I just put my child's name on it. It's amazing to me how we look at success and say, we want to be like that. But I got a question. What defines success for you? Who do you attach yourself to? Who do you want to be like? Is it how good you are at what you do? Is that your success? Is it wrapped up in your identity? Again, you guys know, right? Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale for 30 years. My whole identity was wrapped at being at a church for 30 years, but I didn't know it. And the success of that church. I came out here, and I will never forget. I'm standing in line. Pastor Jeff has asked me to come forward with the other pastors to pray. Okay? It's me and Rob and like, you know, Tuvai and all these guys that are up front, right? And I look over at Rob's line, it goes out the door. I look at Tuvai's line. 
goes out the door. I'm standing here, not a soul comes to me. Now, if I'm at Fort Lauderdale, if I went to the food store, if I went to Walgreens, my kids used to play a game. How many people will know dad, right? I mean, if they would gamble over, I bet five tonight, I bet 10 tonight. I come to South Bay, you guys don't even want to pray with me. You don't even want to come in my line. Rob was like over there feeling bad for me. He was like, maybe you should go pray with Chet. And they're like, no, I'd like to pray with you. I mean, who is that guy, right? And I realized my whole identity was wrapped in the success at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. And God took a year and a half to break me to find my identity in Jesus. But there's something about who you are that can get wrapped up with this desire for success. Maybe it's how much you have. Maybe it's how much money you have. And if I can just have this much money and this much in my retirement, well, hello to coronavirus, where 20% people saw a 20% decline in their 403B and 401K just last week. Now, when you see your nest egg drop 20%, all of a sudden you begin to go, if that's where you find your success. Maybe it's the place you live. Well, if I could just have that house. If I could just be in that neighborhood, then I'll know I'm successful. And no longer is growing up in Harlem successful. It's getting out of Harlem that's successful. It's being able to rise above. And we even attach words like this as to what it is to live the American success dream. And maybe success is found in what you own. And I have found as a guy, we still love toys. We still love toys. Our toys get more and more expensive as we get older. But go look in your garage. Look at what you have. And ask yourself, when's the last time you used that? I have a friend of mine who bought a house to store his stuff. And when you go in the house, it's a four-bedroom house, it's filled with stuff. And I wonder, do we find our success in the things that we own? Now, the problem, if you choose to define yourself like this, someone will always be better. Someone will always have more. So when do you actually get to the place of success? Now, I know the Bible has things, verses in it like, be content with such things as you have. Okay, I get that. I know the Bible says, uh, Jesus, red letters, a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Okay, so I see scripture say things. Another red letter, Jesus communicates, moth and rust destroy. First time in my life, I just bought, waited three years, I just bought the Tacoma, the TRD. Okay, top of the line. You know, I always said I would never buy a new car. You know why? As soon as you drive it off the lot, what happens? So here I am at 49 years old and all my wisdom of growing up and saying, I will, I'm a missionary. I will never buy a new car. And I drive off the lot with my new Toyota Tacoma. And let me tell you something. Every time I still get in that car, I feel good about myself. <laughs> I still feel good about my, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, you know what, I drove, he goes, he drove all the way an hour. You know what I was thinking in my mind? In my Tacoma. Like, <laughs> I'll drive two hours in my Tacoma, right? Like, I just, and let me tell you why I feel so good about it. This is why. 
I know the owner of Toyota South Bay. His son used to go to Lyft. His son likes my daughter. I called him. Hey, I'd like to buy a Tacoma. Now, let me explain what happened. I called him four years ago. I called him four years ago and said, hey, I'm coming up. I want to buy a Tacoma. All right, great. The next day, he texts me and goes, why didn't you come up? Well, my wife's engine blew up today, and so she needs a new car, okay? Next year, hey, I'm coming up to buy my Tacoma. True story. Next year, call him up. He texts me the next day, why didn't you come up? Uh, my engine on the car that I was going to trade in blew up yesterday going up and over the Ortega. Okay, third year, I text him, I'm coming to buy my Tacoma. He says to me, I am praying and fasting for you today. I am asking Jesus to deal with whatever it is that you need dealt with so that you can actually have this car. So I get up there. I arrive. He's got like cake. He's got like the whole thing. He's going, you made it. You made it quick. Go find one before something happens, right? And then he knows three years. I drive off the lot. He gives me not the family deal, not the dealership deal, his deal. And let me tell you something. I could sell you my Tacoma today and make a lot of money, okay? <laughs> let me tell you, when I'm driving my Tacoma, I feel good. I'm driving home an hour. I may drive to San Diego just because I can in my Tacoma. There's the truth about, about Tacoma. They're going to come out with a new one next year. And guess what? I'm going to want it. And they're going to come out with another one the following year. And guess what? You know why? Because you want it too. And when you see me in my Tacoma, you're going to go to South Bay and say, I know Chet. <laughs> I got my daughter. Wait a second. I did not sell my daughter for Tacoma, okay? <laughs> so if I know I love being home, I love being home. Let me tell you something. So if I know moth and rust destroy, if I know I'm supposed to be content, if I know that a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he have then my definition of success maybe needs to be tweaked. And maybe what I'm finding to be successful isn't what I should find as success because the things that I'm saying are successful, gang, they don't last. Moth and rust destroy. And gang, I want to be successful at things that last. I want to be successful at things that won't just decrease in its value. I want to be successful at things that actually increase in their value. And there are only three things in the Word of God, three, that will last forever. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, would you look with me at verse 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so now faith, hope, Love, abide. That means they last. So now faith, hope, love, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So I want to talk about these three words. 
Because this is where men should put all the drive of what God put in us to be successful. Take a look at the first one, faith. Go over a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, would you take a look? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Now, I know I'm reading from the equally spiritual version, the ESV, okay? I know you got New King James, all right? I know you Calvary Chapel people think that's the version. But I'm going to read from ESV, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm going to read verse 13. Be watchful. Underline this. Stand firm in the faith. Now look at this. Act like men. See that? Read it again. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be strong. Um, no one noticed, but because I was traumatized at the men's retreat, I've been actually trying to gain weight to look like Steve and the rest of the Samoans, okay? I'm tired of being called puny, all right? So here's the deal. Join a gym called F45. Ever heard of it? F45? Kicking my butt, all right? Functional 45 minutes, high-intensity workout. Zach and I are doing it together. Um, he's shaming me, and I'm 50, so I keep reminding him of this. And you just go from station to station to station to station for 45 minutes, and every single... I, I told the trainer, why is it that I'm sore for the last two months every day of the week? Like, I, I never don't feel great. She said to me, because you're out of shape. Excuse you? First of all, you're a woman. Don't ever tell me that. And then I was embarrassed I actually thought that. And then she looked at me and she goes, but you got hope. You got hope. You can get in shape. I want to read the scripture again. Listen. Look at verse 13. He says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Can I tell you something? The only way you gain strength is when you exercise. Amen. It's the only way you get strength. You've got to put your spiritual muscles to the test, challenging them each and every day and getting a spiritual soreness because you are working out your faith. Courage and strength Courage and strength, they come from exercising our faith. Gang, here's what's happening. I joined F45 two months ago, and I'm finally feeling like I'm working out. I was just making it through the workout 40, uh, two months ago. I mean, I was walk. I couldn't even walk. We had to park our car out in front because I could no longer walk up the steps at the end of the workout. So the parking lot was above the gym, and I was like, Z, I can't make it up the steps, so go get the car. I mean, now I'm like, okay, I can make it up the steps. I can make it through the workout. I actually feel myself doing a push-up. That's not a flop up. I mean, it's like one of those things where something's happening and I'm building strength. I'm building strength. My wife took my shirt off the other day. She goes, come here. She looked at me and she goes, oh, come on, get over it. She looked at me and she said, wow, things are happening, Jenna. 50 years old because I got a goal. 
I want to be in the best shape before September 1st, because on September 1st, I turn 50. And Zach has a goal. My assistant, he's got a goal to humiliate me on September 1st. I know it. So I want to feel good about myself. I want to enter 50 with a full charge, like no stomach. I'm just moving forward, man. I want to be in the best shape possible. I've got a goal. So I'm exercising. And I wonder, what's your spiritual goal? Is your spiritual goal just to make it through this life? Or is your spiritual goal, well done, good and faithful servant? Is your spiritual goal just to come to church and do church? Or is your spiritual goal to be the church? Gang, let me tell you something. When Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, are you exercising that? Because I want to put something out there to you. If you're not fishing, you may not be following. If you're not out in the world being the church, there's a potential that you need to examine your faith, like Paul says, to see whether or not you're in the faith. Now, Paul is not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about take a test and see where you're at so that you can grow. When I used to sit in uh, algebra, every Friday in ninth grade, we would take a test, and I failed most of the test. It was a revelation to me, you need work. So I got a tutor, and I started putting more practice into algebra, and by the end of the year, I knew algebra well. See, learning the word, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, and putting the word into practice. Uh, four days ago, I called my wife, and she disagreed with me on something. I don't know. We don't argue. We have strong fellowship. I know you guys know that spiritual term. <laughs> Christians never worry. We're concerned. We never gossip. We share, right? <laughs> and usually in the form of a prayer meeting, right? I mean, it's just the way that we are. So Andre and I, I sense we're about to enter into some strong fellowship. We never argue, right? And she's going at me, like, in front of one of my kids. And you know, love and respect, when men are disrespected, it's like something happens in us, right? Like, we're supposed to love our wives. When they don't feel loved, something happens in them. And when our wives don't respect us publicly, it's like, ooh. <laughs> so I felt that thing happening. You know, it starts from your feet, you know, and it's like starting to bubble up here. Then you start feeling the steam. It's like a biological thing that happens in you, right? And about right here, okay, when that thing was happening, I said to myself, you got a choice. You press the button, it's T minus 10, you will take off. Or you back away from the takeoff. You got a choice right now, Chet. And you can make this decision. The only reason I'm using this illustration, because I made the right decision, okay? I did not say anything to my wife. I just let her do. The next morning, she wakes up. It's like 5 in the morning. I'm convicted. What are you convicted about? Just got back from the women's retreat. I didn't respect you. I'm sorry. Out of my mouth came, I forgive you. In my heart was, about time, woman. <laughs> I didn't feel it. But I wanted to put my faith into action. And even though I don't feel it, someone came up to me the other day and said, well, I'm not going to tithe because I'm not a cheerful giver. 
well, then you need to pray for cheerfulness and be obedient no matter what you feel like. You see, we've got a job to be successful in our faith. Let's take a look at the next word. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. The word is hope. The word is hope. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. The word is hope. Now, if I want this is like a tongue-tie scripture, so just go with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. And I got to close up, right? Yeah? No, 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 no. Tell me for real because people are leaving. So I want to... 9.30, I'll be done. Great, here we go. And I don't want to take it personally, like I'm not doing a good job or anything. So uh, Romans chapter 8, I'm kidding. Uh, verse 23. Romans 8.23. This is like a tongue-tie verse. And not, um, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, for who hopes for what he sees? I can't even read it right. But if we hope... For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Read that again. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, this is the part, we wait for it with patience. The coming of Jesus is known as the blessed hope. And every Christian, I pray, in this room is waiting for the return of Jesus. But I don't know about you. Waiting gives me anxiety. I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting for Amazon to deliver. I hate waiting for you to respond to my email. I hate waiting. I hate when I see on my iPhone the little dot, 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 dot dot, dot, just respond. And after the dot, dot, dot is over and I don't see a response, I hate it. I hate waiting. (laughs) Waiting gives me anxiety. There's a verse that me and God are going to wonder about, okay? It's those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, for real. They call it the 405. Why? Because you're on it for 405 hours. I mean, as soon (laughs) as you are on this road... You're on it for a long time. And I know I've said this a hundred times because I hate waiting. My kids and I would go on vacation, and there's a question that they ask every single time we get in the car. Are we there yet? One of my kids, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You want me to pull over yet? Like, <laughs> are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, I'm in a different place. Let me tell you why. Got my iPhone. I put in the destination. I know it's going to take me eight hours to get there. I'm the parent. I'm confident. I'm secure. There's a begin. There's an end. I know it's going to be eight hours and 30 minutes to get to Lake Almanor for our vacation. I know what the time is. I know where I'm going to pull off. I know exactly the route I'm going to take. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm completely confident because I'm the father. Our father knows when Jesus is coming. He is completely confident. He's not worried about it. He knows it's going to happen. He knows that it will be. He's mapped it out, and we continue to sit in the back of the car. Are we there yet? Is he coming yet? Is he coming yet? And the way that we display our lack of trust is anxiety. 
Anxiety becomes immaturity on display. So here's what God says. I want you to pray. Don't be anxious for anything. You need to hang out with your dad. You need to feel my confidence. You need to get connected with who I am. Because once you're connected with me, I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding. So he says, I want you to pray. Quickly, go with me to James chapter 5. I want you to see something. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I want you to see this. So we see here in James chapter 5 something true about patience. Listen, is anyone, verse 13, among, uh, sorry, in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at, right here, look, it's right here. God knows when it's going to happen. He's confident in it. Spend time with him. Grow in that grace. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't be anxious. Don't act like someone who's impatient. Go and spend time with the Father and get his perspective. Final word. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Here's where we close. Love. Love. I want to be successful in faith. I want to be successful in hope. I want to wait for the coming of the Lord. Now take a look. I want to be successful in love in my life. Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Key verse, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John 13, 34. Okay, let me tell you something. Loving one another is not new. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Love your neighbors yourself. It goes all the way back. What's new about this is he says, I want you to love the way I've loved. There's the freshness of the command. There's the newness of the command. I want you to love my way. And here's what Jesus said. A guy walks up to him and goes, hey, Jesus, can you tell me what the greatest command is? What makes you successful as a good Jew? I want to know. There's a man asking a question. Jesus says, the man says, all right, everyone listen up. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want everyone listening, he says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. In other words, they compare with one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you want to be successful in life? Let me tell you how you can be successful. Love God and love others. What was the way of Jesus? At the end of his life, he showed the way to love God. He showed the greatest success story. And I know for the rest of the world, it was death on a cross and it looked like he had no success at all. He said this in John 17. I glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. I loved you, God. And my love was expressed in my obedience. And in my obedience, I glorified you. I made you look bigger and me look lesser. I made your way more important and my way less important. 
I did what you wanted me to do, and I put aside the things that I thought were successful. And then he said, I want you to love others. We're teaching a series on grace and truth, and we're dealing with issues in the world today. Last week I taught on coronavirus. Not coronavirus, but the fear and the anxiety in our culture. When we should be the most peaceful people on the face of the planet. The week before, I taught on the LGBT community. Grace and truth. It's all good and fine until you get an invitation to your niece's wedding, and her fiancé's name is Susan. What do I do? How do I respond? What's the grace and truth in this modern text, which I believe there's nothing new under the sun? These are biblical issues, not modern issues. Love others? I go into Tilly's while we were in Orlando. We had, went to go a mall to eat, and there was a sale at Tilly's, and I love the 50% off at Tilly's, so I always go straight to the back, right? And I know they try to trick you with little things that are along the way. I don't even look. Straight to the 50% off, buy one, get one. I'm that guy, right? So um, I go to buy a pair of pants, and they're 40% off. Standing in the line, the clerk behind, he looks at me and goes, dude, you are peering into my soul. And I go, dang it. I'm praying for you. I'm a pastor. I get this all the time. And this guy, he's a, I mean, he's a, a six-foot, kind of a you know, big guy. And he goes, you're going to hate me. I go, I'm going to hate you? He goes, I'm gay. Pastors hate gay people. My mom's an evangelist. Now, he, he's not acting gay. This is not like, he's not like the, he doesn't have a, you know, the things that you would go, oh, wow, that guy's gay. Couldn't, wouldn't even know and he looks at me and goes, I'm gay, you're going to hate me. My mom's an evangelist, and she tells me how much God hates my lifestyle. The Lord knocks my heart. Grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You just taught it. How are you going to live it? And he looked at me and he goes, I think God hates me. And I go, hate you? <laughs> how could he hate you? He died for you. You don't die for someone you hate. And he goes, what do you mean? And he said this. So, like, I got a line. I'm giving the gospel. I'm like this. I'm like, Jesus died for all of you. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm taking advantage of this moment, right? So, <laughs> big sale at Tilly's for the gospel, right? Here's the deal. So, um, he then says to me, me and my boy, that's what we call his husband, me and my boy, we were just talking, like, why are we here? Like, why am I here? Why do I exist? I feel like my life means something more. I'm having church. I'm having church with the guy behind the Tilly's clerk. And I'm throwing seed after seed after seed after seed. And he goes, you like me. And I said, 
I don't know how to say it. I, I like you, but I don't want you to think like, you know, <laughs> so I started making fun of like, you know, his position, you know? And he goes, come on, dude, you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I looked at him and I said, in the purest way, I love you. And he looked at me, he had tears, he had tears in his eyes and he goes, yeah, I just found a friend. And I said, I don't want you to forget this moment. Because God loves you. And he loves you right where you're at. And he died for you knowing who you are. And I left. We sing this song. I don't care where you're at theologically with the song. Just go with me for just a minute. Okay? There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. And then it turns into like an old bar song. Oh, the overwhelming, right? I mean, it's like... I just ruined that song for everybody. <laughs> what if we sang it like this? There's no shadow that won't, you won't light up. Mountain I won't climb up. I'm coming after you. And I'm going to display the love of God that was displayed to me to the world. There's no wall I won't climb up. There's no wall I won't kick down. No lie I won't tear down. I'm coming after you. And I wonder if the church could love like Jesus, get beyond all of our issues, we would find success. Father, thank you. Your grace is great. Your truth is great. And my prayer in Jesus' name is that each one of these men would find your success story for each of our lives. For everyone in here, it's a little bit different. And I pray, my precious God, this prayer of Paul. Listen as I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the prayer of Paul for the church. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus, here's the success, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who needs to repent today? You just raise your hand right now and say, me. Lord, help me find success in you. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me be here.